And welcome everybody to the Between Two Wheels podcast, episode 182. And today's show, we've got a special guest, well, returning podcast host, Chris Flower. But we're going to talk about Chris Froome. He splits with Ineos. What's that mean for his future? Contador does some Everesting. Phil Guyman's head explodes. Will Europe, uh, the restriction on travel, really limit the Tour de France if it even happens? Some uh, things we make go home. Chris Flower, welcome to episode 182. It's been a long haul missing you on the podcast. Thanks for coming in today. Yeah, happy to be here. Um, might have some technical issues. My, my headphone battery just told me they're low. So maybe going back to that echo is to hear. Okay, well, if we do an echo, you may just have to uh, mute yourself a little bit. But um, we'll work on that, folks, and hopefully uh, mitigate. Are you, not, are you not a tech guy? I was in an assumption you knew technology. Is this... This is not correct. I do. It's just I rarely use these features in this environment. Okay. So um, I do have other headphones, but they're they're pretty beefy. Um, all of my plug-in headphones are in my car for when I travel to your office to do the podcast in studio. I've got That's some extra ones here for you. Them. Can you email them to me? <laughs> I can't. I can't email them at all. I, 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 I don't I've know got why, the tech dialed, so I don't know why I you're worried about. Work. I don't know why you're worried about the look of the headphones. I mean, if, if people are watching this, you're 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 really low on the screen. It would help to have something higher anyway. Oh, look ah. at look at you, Ajit. <laughs> well, I didn't realize that you were gonna like crop my image. <laughs> uh, okay, well we can do uh, look at look at these options I have. Do you, would See? you prefer that? There we go. And Kurt didn't like this view, but um, the the, the cropped image is a little <laughs> bit. You know, we'll go back and forth. Give the viewers some things that they want. Um, first of all, how are you doing? And, you know, every once in a while I see you on the bike, we were kind of doing some stuff. I don't know if you want to say group rides. And then, um, but I just seen you kind of, you were waving at us the other day. Did speak with you a little bit. Um, how's uh, how's your, your, your life going um, with the new normal or new world? I, I don't know if we call it new normal. It's, it's kind of world D3 or something like that. Yeah. Um, I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm trying to get some riding and I think, since the whole COVID lockdown thing kicked off, this might be my fifth attempt at restarting uh, to build some fitness. Um, so I'm a good two weeks into it, and it feels like maybe I'm, I'm developing some type of pattern, which is nice. Um, yeah, I think I, I jumped into a few group rides when the coast was relatively clear there for a few weeks and uh, realized that my fitness was not up to snuff, and a lot of people have been kind of leveraging this downtime to either remain or regain some fitness. Right. Uh, so, so it kind of put me on the back foot and, and made me aware of the fact that I, I should. Oh, no. I think your headphones are dying oh. on us. Uh-oh. Yep. So uh, you may have to mute yourself uh, when I talk, but uh, look. It, yes, it's, it's interesting. You know, I talked to Mark Tucker, and we were um, – you can't hear me if you mute. <laughs> well, actually, you can maybe mute yourself, and that would that would help on the feedback. Let's just try that. How's that now? Uh, you you chose to mute yourself. It says so. I can't unmute you. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to unmute yourself, Kurt, Chris. I wasn't saying anything. Okay. Well. I, we're, we're okay. Um, you know, I was talking to Mark Tucker and, uh, you know, he went out there and, and I was actually, actually Mike Sayers as well the other day, uh, just people's fitness and how everyone's kind of been ramping up. And we've talked about this, you know, I've been able to get more fit than I have in quite some time. One of my, you know, the, the, but there's really no goal, right? So with the issue of there's really no goal, 
but you're, you're riding more. Um, I tend to not care about the weight as much. I know that should be, you know, in symbiotic with those. So I'm just like indulging myself because, Hey, why not? And I'm just getting fitter. So, um, I'm probably really good for the downhill right now. How, how's, is that kind of where you're, you're at? Are you not even getting the fit part? Uh, I'm definitely not getting the weight part down. I can tell you okay. that, um, in, in terms of motivation, yeah, there's no racing, but there's always that, uh, it, sometimes it almost feels like the, the race rides are more motivating than the, the actual races because yeah. it's the same folks you see every week on the same climb, whether it's Sierra college or uh, Ridge and you always want to do well on those. And I feel like those are always good motivators to stay fit. And I think we've talked about it with, with Kurt as well, where, you know, he, he actually finds the race rides to be more uh, competitive and, and motivating than the natural racing. I think it kind of depends where you're at with your fitness and everything. But no, you're uh, right. my weight is not great. My, my fitness is, is up and down. Um, I imagine at some point you want to talk about Jason's virtual whatever time trial series that's, that's ongoing. And relative to where my fitness is, I did a little effort yesterday and, and did better than I thought I would. So... Uh, I guess as long as it's flat to downhill, uh, I'll remain somewhat competitive. Yeah, yeah it's, nice. look, you, you, look, you've got a, there's different skills we all have. And one of those you definitely have is being able to just ride really hard and uh, time trial is, is basically, I guess, a way to say it too. So yeah, yesterday we did a, just a six mile, you know, had one little, I mean, five foot hump in it, right? It's really nothing. Um, and uh, you came out there and, and slayed a really good time. You want to tell about the, uh, your, your kind of, your, your chasing at the, <laughs> what you thought was going on. I thought that was kind of humorous. Yeah, no, it was, um, it, it was good and bad depending on how you look at it. So yeah, like you said, it, it was a, a six mile effort, three miles out, three miles back. Um, there's really no hill. There's a little short blip where you've got to go over a, a canal out speed, but nothing too major. Um, so it's, it's, there's really no start time. It's just show up when you want as long as you get done before 9 p.m. So we don't see Chase up too late while he's tally scores. Um, so I got there a little around lunchtime. And as I got close to the start, I did see a rider start in front of me. And I figured they were probably 10, 15 seconds ahead of me. And I figured I would kind of follow them and, and use them as like a, a carrot to chase. And that would kind of make the segment a little more motivating. Um, the segment starts right when you exit this tunnel that goes under the freeway and the rider in front of me just like stood up and went into a full sprint and it was it was impressive um and it was like okay well this guy's gonna blow up so i'll just kind of pace myself and I'll, I'll catch them and two miles into it which you know you're you're almost to the turnaround time and i'm not gaining on this guy and he's actually putting a gap on me and i I feel like I'm going really hard. The power's good. The speed's good. And I'm just not closing it down. I have no idea who it is. And I get to the turnaround and the rider in front of me starts coming back toward me. And I realize it's Cole Davis. And it's like, oh, <laughs> right. okay. That explains why uh, I'm not able to make up any ground on him. It was, it, was, it was good and bad. It was kind of like morally killing me because I, I just buried myself to try and catch this mystery rider. And, now I've got to turn around and try and maintain power for, for three miles back. And it, it made it a little challenging. Like I said, I, I, I kind of blew up in the last couple of miles and settled squares into to the finish and salvaged the decent time, which, which I was happy with. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know if I would have 
written it differently. I may have gone out a little easier if I wasn't chasing full. Uh, in the end, I think he put 13 seconds on to me, which uh, I'll take it. Yeah. So th- let me let me know. Did you? Because I, I know how you are. I'm sure you did a kind of a breakdown of your power going out and coming back, and did that really screw things up for you? Was that um, helpful? Maybe, maybe, you know, the, the demise at the end wasn't enough to uh, overcome the, the, the benefit you got from chasing a, a world or uh, a pro. Let's just say that. It, it actually looking at the power going out versus coming in, the power out was, was about two watts less than coming back. So in the end, mm-hmm. it was relatively flat. Um, I think it, it probably helped that Cole was, going at a relatively steady state as well. So I could kind of gauge where I was relative to him. Um, but it was, it was still being aware of the fact that, yeah, as hard as I go out, I've still got to turn around and come back in. So I didn't just try and blow myself out of the water. So I tried to keep the power hard, but not like killing myself, knowing that it was a, a relatively longer effort compared to what I've been doing lately. Yeah. It, so that was a fun one yesterday. Um, you, so the, the winner was Jason Griffith and he beat Cole by three seconds, I think. And then you, so that was like, uh, 1327, 1330. And then you were like 1343, I want to say 42, somewhere there. And then that was a pretty, uh, 43. Okay. And then it was what? 19 seconds to me at, uh, or, or what is that? Um, yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. I was 1402 and so there was there was a, some discrepancy there distance. So did he sprint before the the tunnel? Did he was he sprinting out of the tunnel? What was and and, and what who did you think that <laughs> did you think that was up there? So Rando. <laughs> no, so he he kind of rolled. When I was rolling up to the start, so like I said, the start is on the other side of the tunnel. He kind of did like a standing stop start about two hundred meters before the tunnel, and he didn't he didn't sprint into the tunnel. He kind of wound up like you would just kind of cruising into to a start line. And I had no idea who it was. There was another rider at the tunnel entrance and I figured teammates, they were buddies and it was a, a, a real rider that I didn't recognize. So I, I, I had no idea who it was because I'd forgotten that Cole has come out and done a couple of these before. So he wasn't on my mind in, in terms of people that I would be having to chase out there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, he definitely gave it a good kick once he got out of the tunnel and, and crossed how did you feel about, did, did you take, I, I posted a quick video because I did some real cut up real close. And as I actually, I was really amazed at the the way the camera was able to pick up the light in the tunnel. Um, Cause that was nothing. I didn't do any editing for that, but uh, I didn't go full bore through the tunnel. I mean, I went pretty hard, like fast, but I was just ramping it up and I, I guess he was, you know, sprinting, but how'd you feel about the tunnel before and after? Cause there's not much room in there. If you happen to come along someone else or, or did you not care? You just said, go for it. I mean, I've, whether it's fortunate or unfortunate, uh, been through the tunnel both directions hundreds and hundreds of times, solo group rides, people coming at me. So I've got some comfort riding in the tunnel, so it wasn't too overwhelming. But I I didn't know where the start was out of the tunnel. I kind of know where the segment is because I've done it before. I use that out and back a lot for just um, steady state intervals. Yeah, you had already Um, had the second best time anyway. Yeah, so it was... I don't know, going out of the tunnel, it was fine. And coming back into the tunnel was fine. Um, the only thing that adds a little bit of a challenge is the segment does drop you off completely exhausted at the tunnel entrance. Right. And if you're not comfortable, or if you haven't done that segment a lot, there's a couple weird little like bumps 
at the tunnel entrance that could totally catch you off guard. Uh, there's there's definitely potential for something to happen there, but it, it, for me it was fine because I've been lucky enough to do that enough. The one thing I did like about your video of the tunnel is just I think I noted on your your Facebook post it had like a really really Wonka vibe to yeah. it. You know, you kind of got that like spiraling light effect going on. It was. Or, I think you can. Well, I was gonna say or, even, even kind out. of like a. Um, Battlestar Galactica or uh, Buck Rogers coming out when they're ejecting out into the space. I don't know. Kind of had that too. Yeah, you can uh, you can save that little like five second clip and, and use it for any video that you've got now, where you can kind of go into the tunnel and come out on the coast, oh, or go into the tunnel and, and come out in a crit. You know, you, you got a lot of options to I, use with that. For I like that because when it, especially coming out on the the, the first side on on the way out. Uh, the, the beginning, um, it bursts out into the light, so it kind of just blinks the screen out. I, I like that. I like that. You're you're becoming a video director here. Hey, speaking of tunnels, tunnel vision, Chris Froome. That's all he wants to do is win the tour. He's going to Israel Startup Nation. Uh, the big big announcement. There's been a lot of rumors, and, unless you wanted to keep talking about yourself uh, doing getting third best time at the at the time trial yesterday. Um, but what do you think about the Froome um, going to Israel Startup Nation? The pros and cons of this. And how it's going to affect the tour this year because it's this is uh starting next year so um you know he's not happy about being kind of they can't guarantee a a, a leader position um egon bernal um jeez um, thomas and now and Froome, uh the three big guys there ineos who knows carapaz they've got all kinds of guys coming up so what's is he going to go rogue this year what do you think about What's your whole thought process of this? And then we'll kind of dig into some little spots. So I guess the question I have first off is, is the roster for the tour set? Is he going? Is it confirmed? I mean, if, if he is, I think it adds some pros and cons for Ineos because, you know, you've got Froome is, is a good candidate to win in his own right, but do you really want your outgoing rider to win, or do you want your kind of new up and coming star to win in, in Bernal? So do you set Froome up? Defending champ too. Right. Defending champ. Or do you set Froome up to say, Hey, you're going to support Bernal until Bernal falters. Like we used to do with you and Tom. Um, I, I don't think they're going to be able to take a, we'll find a leader on the road type of scenario like they've done in the past. when they've got three guys, possibly four guys who can win it outright. Um, so I, and not only that, Froome, he hasn't really raced since being injured, so he's not really a proven commodity right now. So I, I think if you're um, Brailsford, you really just have to bring him in as a, as a support role. Uh, well, you're bringing him in. He makes that roster. Well, yeah, you're bringing him in as a support role, but are you bringing him in at all on the tour? What do you think? I, hmm. What's the schedule like for this year for the Grand Tours? I forget. Tour de France first, then the Giro, and then the Vuelta. And then, you know, there's a little mishmash of a bunch of races. But let's just ignore those and just assume that the three Grand Tours. And I don't think you're going to be able to – well, you definitely – I think the Giro and the Vuelta are overlapping. So you're not going to be able to combo those up. And I don't know if you'd be able to really do Giro, uh, Tour and Giro. And you might be able to do Tour Vuelta, but it's pretty bang, bang, bang. I mean, I, I think if I'm Brailsford, I send him to the Volta. Or Volta or the Giro, I don't send him to the Giro. 
I mean, yeah, he's, he's a four-time champ, but you've got to kind of look to the future while retaining some sense of kind of team camaraderie during the race. I mean, if you think about when it was the Contador Lance duo circa, what was that, 2000 and something? Nine. Um, that didn't seem to work out that well. If you look to the time when Broom was riding with Wiggins, when we kind of had those dueling personalities, that didn't really work out that well. I mean, yeah, they won, but it, it seemed like it caused quite a rift in the team. So you want to do that with the rider you know is going to be heading out? Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, that's that's kind of the you know before there was talk about maybe him going to one of these other teams during midseason, and there's a lot of pros and cons there. You know, you don't want to just. I what, part of it would be the value and trying to at that point sell him to another team for some value. Whether you know now he's just not going to resign, so that's kind of similar. Um, but yeah, there's a risk now of bringing him, having him kind of screw your whole team up. But then, I mean, you, you you made one comment, which is, oh, you know, we don't really know what he's done because uh, after the crash. True. But but part of the benefit for him, too, is this long delay of everybody not racing. So I think it, in some some way it kind of puts him back into everyone else. He's able to probably do a lot of, you know, different training. He hasn't had pressure of trying to race all year and maybe be good or bad. So there's some mystery to that, but it might actually play a, a benefit as well. I don't know. It's hard to say because I mean, he, some of the guys like Bernal or Carapaz, they're moving from kind of the early 20s to still early 20s, while Froome is moving from his mid 30s to his later 30s. So it's, it's, he's not aging in a positive sense, while the other guys are potentially maturing into better riders. So it's, time off for Froome, I don't think, is, is anything that's going to work well for him. Um, Thomas is kind of in a similar boat, and I, I have no idea what the course looks like for the tour this year. I don't know if they've changed it in, in response to the whole COVID thing or if they've kind of left it as it is. Um, so I'm not sure if it's the course that really favors a Thomas over a Bernal. Um, obviously, Bernal is not going to be the best PT guy, so if it's a really PT-heavy course, maybe you do consider bringing Broom as kind of a, a last-ditch guy that could help win. So I will tell you about the tour, the, unless they, look, I don't think they start the original part because it started in a different country, Hungary or something. Um, but then they're going to be, um, oh, no, 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 that was the Giro. So the tour starts in Nice and it's all around there. And then they, it, there's only one time trial and that is the second to last day up the Planche de Belfi that they did that last year, you know, stage nine or so, six or nine last year. So uphill time trial, that's it. So, you know, I don't, kind of crazy. I don't know if that's, uh, that's not, that's not, is that bad for, for, I think that's good for Bernal, right? I mean, that's, that can't hurt him at all. Yeah, I think that would definitely work in his favor more so than like a few 30, 40 K long flattish TPs that would support somebody like a Roglic or a, or a Dumoulin or somebody like that. So it seems like that works in his favor and, kind of continues along the path of, of um, trying to set the, the course up for, for a French rider who doesn't TP all that well himself. So it seems like they're still trying to keep those guys in the mix as long as they can. I think this will be um, – I'm, I'm actually kind of excited about this. I like to see them spread it out a little bit more, <clears throat> more teams having to fight because um, you're getting, you know uh, – Jumbo Visma, suddenly they have a three-headed monster, Kreuzweg, Dumoulin, and Roglic. Now, Ineos, you know, they've kind of had the three-headed, now maybe four. 
Um, and then, you know, who's kind of out there? Well, so I love seeing this. I love seeing Froome go away. Maybe it'll, re, you know, re, rejuvenate him. And it's also a team that could uh, use a little bit of this. You know, who, I don't know Dan Martin's there, but you'll, you know, it's not happening mid-season. So it'll be interesting to see next year who they pull in to, to help this. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. Maybe it's like when Jordan's done and he went to, you know, the, the Bullets or general, what do they call them? I think that was the Bullets, right? Isn't that the uh washington? washington wizards that's right i'm 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 west unsell days i guess <laughs> so um i so I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about that what do you think about uh the the prospects for um like israel's startup nation with with Froome coming there i mean i i know of like two or three riders on the scene personally including uh including Froome. so that would be um Travis um, and then Andre Greifel, who's on again, off again with injuries. And I guess from, I, I, unfortunately, I don't know a lot about the team. Oh, and, um, isn't, uh, James Pickley on that team? Yes. Yeah. So, um, I, that, that's the extent to which I know about that team. Unfortunately, uh, they, they seem to really build up last year. And then my guess is that 2020 was going to be kind of their, their, bigger breakout year but it just never happened think of you you, um, you mentioned mccabe I, just a side note here what a horrible i mean the, the guy's you know his age is kind of pushing him and he finally gets his chance to to go and see what he can do this year with israel and then there's like no racing um maybe for him it's going to be a good thing that he doesn't have to you know just do this whole season and he can just do something compact and do enough to to get him to next year to another another contract at least i'm i'm hoping so yeah, and he, he did relatively well in the early races he did. I think he did sort of right. long, and he was usually either leading out or yeah. he was he was in the mix instead yes. of just, like, not making it to the sprint line. So, yeah, he, he's getting up there in age, but I think he's suffered from not getting to do these races as, as his career went through. Because, I mean, when he was doing some of the lower-level races, whether it's Macaulay or something like that, he usually had good finishes. He did well in California, uh, so it's He's definitely a, a competitive guy when it comes to, to those races. I don't know if he's going to be a kind of Marcel Kittle, um, Dylan Grunewagen type sprinter, but he'll be more of like the Peter Sagan type sprinter where it's, you know, maybe something with a 200-meter uphill finish that, that's his bread and butter. Well, you so know, it'll be good to see him in the mix. When we saw him at the Tour of California, you know, you and I were in the press room and he came in uh, the Sacramento stage. He is a little guy. I, I mean, yeah, I'm, I don't know why I'm always amazed. You know, we're around cyclists and, and they, you know, they look big or whatever. They look small, but, you know, they're comparing to each other. And he, he did not look like, I mean, obviously he's able to get over climbs too. So I don't know about a kid alike. Um, but yeah, he, well, I don't know. I, it'd be, I just want to see him do stuff. Yeah, he's a top 10 sprinter in some of these, you know, early season stage races and not the big tour, but he's definitely a guy that can help. And they had, they had a sprinter or two on that team that was uh, that was doing pretty well. So um, how about any any last comments about Froome moving or just prospects for the tour? A lot of talk about the, the tour. Well, I, I can't really say the tour because I haven't seen rosters, but I think it's, it's cool to see a lot of up-and-coming teams uh, that'll be uh, in the mix over the next couple of years. Um, UAE's got Pojakar. Uh, it looks like he and Primo are having really good kind of in-country races for the, for the national championships. I think Pojakar won the TC and Primo won the road race 
which is kind of the opposite of what I would expect for those two. Um, but you've got you've got that team coming up. You've got um, you know, watch the name, but uh, what, did, what do they call Lotto Yumbo now? Jumbo Visma. Yeah, I mean they've obviously become a powerhouse. Um, Arkea Samsic, assuming that Nairo um, Quintana still still has some legs again. If if this year's tour is really light on uh, the TT, then you've got him there with maybe even Warren Bardia as a support guy. Uh, so a lot of cool opportunities in the tour this year to see hopefully something more than just which rider can sit on the back of the the Ineos train and, and not blow up. So. Uh, have you ever heard of not, have you ever heard of Bargui yeah. supporting anybody uh, himself right I mean he I got kicked know. out of the Vuelta for not not helping um, uh, what was his uh, his teammate at the time was Sunweb uh, I'm slipping on the name but uh, yeah look Arkea Samsic is interesting for a few things one is you know early season Nairo was on a tear and he was I, I wanted to just say he was he was just performing a little bit more like he had done like in 16 and, and, and 15 and, and a few years before. So, um, you know, we obviously got a little stagnant here and you don't know what's going to happen. Um, on Jumbo, so Sepp Kuss, it looks like he might be making the, the team. Uh, there's another little news report out about it. Uh, I had read some other things also that he had just been – he stayed in Girona, or and then he's been training up in Andorra. So he never came over to the states. He stayed over there. He didn't have any travel problems. I had mentioned just you know there's travel restriction ban, and we saw Ian Garrison try to get over there and get denied. Nelson Palace, you look at his Strava now. He's over there in Girona, so he made the the, the split, so to speak. Um, what what's your take on some of the travel and and the possibility of not having some of these riders? I mean, how's is he going to make it back over to? I don't know who all is over here, but there's you know, some Colombians that I would imagine Nairo uh, might might have a problem get back over there as well. Yeah, is uh, where's Bernal? Is he uh, yeah. is he back in Europe training? I think all those guys. I'd read something earlier. Um, you know, there's potential travel problems, and I think all those Colombian guys had gone home. So, I, I, speculation on my part. Yeah, that, that can make it challenging, and if you think about who's potentially representing USA in, in the tour. I mean, we've got, what, half a dozen riders, maybe, and, and obviously they're going to be in support roles. Um, but, um, oh, boy. For Larry Warbox, uh, I think he trained over there and, and he may have stayed over there, so he might be able to, to kind of ride with um, with his team. But, yeah, I think Nielsen's over there and Seth Coast, and I think that might be it. So it, I think it just comes down to, how convincing your documentation and, and supporting uh, evidence is to get you into your destination country as to whether or not you can get there. So I think Nielsen left after the ban rolled in based on his kind of Strava rise. I think so. What, what was your understanding of how, how he got in and why Garrison didn't, as an example? I, from what I read, it was I haven't read anything about Nielsen other than seeing him wave at us one day on Top Republic and then seeing his rides in a uh, Right. in Spain more recently, but the, the only article I read about Garrison was on Cycling News and just said that he didn't have the right visa or he didn't have a visa at all. He had a passport and a letter from, uh, oh gosh, what's the boss's name there? Quick step. Um, the fever? Yeah, and that, that was it. It's like, well, you might need more than that to get in the country. He probably has, carries a lot of weight in Belgium, but maybe not that much. 
Right. So I think it, it, it reminds me of that. And I've seen the bench warmers where they get the one kid to, to play on the little league team. And he's obviously like 30 years old and he has, you know, let me see your, your, how old you are. And he just has a crayon written page that says I'm 12. I mean, I'm sure Garrison had more documents than that, but you've got to, you got to expect a visa, right? So it's probably a doctor's note or something along the lines of that. I like to speculate. So we'll throw out those. Do you have but concrete info? You know? the, the, the add-in though, is that the, the player in Benchwomers, his visa and birth certificate also included like 40 bucks. Right. So I think maybe Garrison just greased the wrong wheels there when, when he was trying to get on the plane. So right. if he had brought in like 200 bucks, he might be uh, riding in, in Europe right now. So, so maybe yeah, outside of that, I, I don't really have any concrete details about who's going where, unfortunately. All right. Well, so, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, TJ, I imagine he's going to be riding the tour. Um, ben King, perhaps, as well. Uh, Kiel Reinen. I mean, there's quite a few different, you know, Americans out there. Um, and, and since they're all compact, I would imagine this year more than ever, you're going to get a chance for riders to do a grand tour that they might not have been able to before, just simply because you're not going to be able to spread everyone out that you normally would. So, um, that'll, that'll be some, uh, inter- I think it'll produce some interesting racing and great opportunities for people. Um, and I, and I especially want to see SEP in the tour. And you've also got to figure that some of those guys, you know, Kiel Ryan in particular, he's probably going to be more on the, the classic squad because those races oh, are going on at the right. same time too. I think um, uh, the first one of those, what is it, uh, Strada Bianchi in two weeks, Dang. three weeks. Huh. So it's, it, you know, yeah, we're, we're talking about the Tour and the Vuelta and the Giro, but there's a lot of those big classics that are career targets for a lot of these guys and they're going to need a support team as well. So not only are, are, are riders going to be spread thin dealing with the Grand Tours, but they're going to be spread thin dealing with the Classics. Because you've got, I think, Perry Roubaix is still on the schedule. Uh, Flanders is still on the schedule. Strada Bianchi. I haven't heard of Monson Remo's back on. But, um, you know, there's, there's guys who don't give a rip about the Grand Tours, but they'll sell themselves out for, for those classic races. So it's trying to compact uh, that much of a race season into realistic, we're looking at three months. Right. That's going to put a lot of stressors on, on riders to probably overperform over short periods of time. And uh, also going to add some logistical challenges of trying to have your, um, your service course spread across the continent at, at haphazard times when they're probably used to having kind of a set schedule of, of where buses and equipment is supposed to be at certain times. There's going to be some scheduling um, people that are maybe the better teams are going to, you know, because you're going to, ha- you're right. You know, there's some of those classic guys, though, uh, while that's their focus, they still will come to the tour and, you know, it'd be a big help. You know, you need your rollers and some of these other things. So, um, uh, you know, you, you bring up some some interesting points that you, you might not realize at the time a team might be a little weak in a few spots because they don't have some big heavy, you know, control in the front that you just, maybe that one guy that you would need there. So, cause he's out doing uh period bay duties. So. Uh. Right. I mean, you look at guys who, who have won stages in the tour or whether it's the, the Giro, the Volta, but they're also classic studies like he's the new, I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's a guy who lives for the classics, but he's obviously a strong rider and he's a good support player, but can also win stages in, in, any grand tour uh, if things play out in its favor. So it, it, it puts a guy like that in a position where what basket do you put your eggs in? Because you're really only getting one shot this year. 
Yeah. So do you put it on, on the classics or do you put it on the opportunity to win like a 10th stage in Grand Tour? It's, it's difficult. Good point. I, I, I like all of those, uh, that did that info there. Good, good info on the class bringing the classic writers in there. So a few weeks, Strada Bianca, that'll be great. Um, I wonder how the weather is going to play a, a, a part in some of these because, um, we're, we're really getting into the point of the, the year where you're, you're not going to have probably chances of rain as much, um, probably a little more hot in some of these things. So, you know, it's, I think it might change the whole concept really the landscape of like a Perry Robay, maybe even Strada Bianca. Um, a lot of these ones that you, you know, that's the, the big issue. So that'll be, that'll be something to take a look at as well. Yeah. I think the, the problem, well, not problem, but the issue there is like Strada Bianca. I mean, if you look at all the finishes of that race, it's always in the treacherous conditions, guys coming in, caked in mud. Um, not the crashing great, but you had that element of the, the, the slippery surfaces and whatnot. So if you're doing a, a dry, dusty Strata Bianchi, is it going to have the same appeal? Um, I, I think Peru Bay's moved later into the year, maybe October or potentially November. Uh, so I think you start pushing it back into the time frame where you may get some, some wetter weather. I, I think sure. with some of the other tarantulas, um being later in the year, you do add the, um, the snow. Kind of the, the snow and the element of seasonal change happening at a, at a greater rate in, in the mountains than you do in, in the summer. So, yeah, you might get a freak rainstorm. You might even get a freak snowstorm that you're just not expecting. I mean, obviously, was it the tour two years ago when they had to deal with the the, with the mud flows and whatnot and yeah. had to terminate stages? I mean, you, you add that, I think, in all the grand tours now. Maybe the, to the tour itself would be safest in that regard but the other ones i think will be will be an interesting challenge so it'll be interesting to see how a how much of it actually goes forward b how well it goes and c do they kind of retool the scheduling moving forward in, in response to this like hey we can probably shift some of these races around that cause headaches for us throughout the rest of the year uh, so i think it'll be a good opportunity to kind of look back at the the overall world tour schedule and maybe potentially some, some shake up yeah, um, you know, all sports are doing that. I mean, there's some conflict with, uh, you know, baseball and, and, and some of these other basketball, like, and maybe this is a chance for even them to kind of rearrange their schedule so there's, you know, not changing overlap. I don't know. Um, what about what about this lovely thing? And I, I'm hoping that, that my biggest desire of getting the, the, the world tour back on schedule is so that we can stop um, seeing someone break an Everstein rec record. I, I, I have no, I, but yet I'm talking about it only because, Contador goes out and well, first of all, we had Lachlan Morton getting it. It's not valid. Uh, Buckman, right? He got it, but it wasn't valid. And then Morton said, "Screw it, I'm going back out," and redoes it again. Um, now Contador, uh, I know you're you're big on this Everesting thing, so why don't you give us your take on that? Yeah, it's. Uh, it, I, I think it's it's worth talking about right now, just because everything else is just speculation. Uh, right. You know, there's, there's no racing, so it's like, yeah, what else are you going to talk about? Uh, Who's going to be the eighth rider for uh, Arkea Samsic? It's like, yeah, that doesn't have much real right. to it. But uh, like I said, yeah, Lachlan Morton went out and did it two weeks ago, and everybody said, oh, that, that, that's the, the bar. Nobody's going to pass that because he's a high-level, whatever, climber for, for the World Tour right. teams. And two days later, they said, ah, no, that, that's unofficial. So I think he did it on, like, three days rest, went back out, yeah. redid it on, on the – on a more challenging set of roads. I don't know the details of it, but 
uh, bested his time and, and set the new bar. And then must have been today, I suppose. I, I'm not sure where he did. The Contador beat that time by two minutes thirty-seven seconds. So uh, Has interesting he- in the sense that you know how, how long has Contador been retired now? Three years, four years, uh, five years. Yeah, yeah. I wanted and, to say um, 16 or 17 was his end. So Obviously, he's been riding because he can't just really do that off the couch. Right. So, uh, now, what does that say for the – not that he's not a good rider, but he's in his mid-30s. He's been away from the world tour scene for a few years. He's probably not training as heavily as he was when he was a world tour guy. So you've got a guy who's retired, comes out, and just – resets the bar so it's, well what's what's the actual integrity of that bar at this point then is it is it as good as it can get or if you took somebody like a Quintana or a Froome and, and said hey go make this be your your hour record for the year and, and see what you can do what do you think the, the limit is on on the performance of that from from the real highest caliber climbers right now Right, and and the the Lachlan Morton went on that was just well he was the best that had gone at that point. That's really what my thinking was, and and, and I don't even know um, comparing him with Buckman, um, uh, you know maybe that would have been a better. But uh, yeah, you think you're right, Nairo, uh, you know uh, someone of these just flat out pure climbers, uh, Froome, right? I mean someone that that can take the pounding of a seven hour ride. And just really, you know, stage what nineteen or so a few years ago, whatever he, you know, waxed everybody that kind of thing. Um, it would be interesting to see what he could put up. And so, yeah, Contador does kind of diminish um, Lachlan's. I mean, does he, or do you say, look, all those years of that dope just flowing through his body <laughs> has changed him, and he's just still this, you know, donkey that rides like a pony. So, um, he's been he's been stocking up on that unique beef. I think is all it is. <laughs> since he's retired but um i did listen to a a phil gaiman piece about the the everest scene and one of the things that he points out that's that's one of the biggest keys in it is selecting the right climb and selecting the right climb that has the best descent because he he seems to be of the mindset of you know you're at your cap when it comes to climbing the real place you're going to make up time is going to be on the descent you might not think much of it but when you do a descent hundred something times and if you're making up two seconds on each descent I mean that's a little over three minutes saved right there and if um, Contador is beating Morton by two minutes 37 seconds did it come from the climb did it come from the descent I don't know so that, that's one of the challenges with uh, with the whole Everstein record is that you know it's, it's, it's not on the same course it's on a selected course so it's, you know is it ever apples to apples? I don't know. I mean, if you think about our records, they're, they're trying to be on as same of a plane as possible because it's, it's on a track. Uh, so the track doesn't necessarily change all I guess it can based on length and, and pitch and all that. But uh, it seems like there's more variability in, in the route you select for your for your Everstein record than you do for your hour record. Although the hour record being around as long as it is, I mean, guys have that thing dialed into perfection when it comes to air pressure and temperature and elevation elevation yeah etc so um yeah the the course differences with is is very interesting and that's kind of the cool thing about the everstein you know is if there can be anything cool about it is that you you can do it in your area someone else can do it in their area but um to really if you want to be a tech you know data geek you're really going to have to 
um, try to do the same course and see exactly what you're talking about. Who's making up time on the descents and who's doing this and this and this. Um, Emma Pooley had done, uh, she blasted the, the record, uh, I guess, as well. So she did eight hours and 53 minutes. Um, that's, that's a long time on a bike. And what was, uh, what was Contador? Seven something, I think. Yeah, and that, not only is it a long time on a bike, but I, I did see uh, a little clip from Contador Cycling Tips' Instagram, and saying Contador's route looked like it was in a pretty heavily wooded area on something that was maybe a single car width in in, in road size. So obviously, this it's one where okay, Contador most likely was doing it on a closed road because mm-hmm. he's got the pull to, to do that. I, I don't know about Emma Cooley's route. I'm not sure where she did it, but it seems like a lot of folks are doing this on open road and maybe Contador got everything dialed into perfection, got the road closed and gave him some, some freedom to get down those descents a little faster. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of the kit he's wearing. I don't know if you got to see that. It looks pretty loud. Yeah. Look Black and white, but just really, really like, I don't know who designed it. Maybe his son or daughter or wife did. So, and they're blind. I think it's supposed to match his bike because that's the new bike line that he and somebody else came out with. I yeah, I could see that. It looks like the zebra bike as well. Um, you know, which, which is also an article on cycling news talking about, and I always find this fascinating when you get someone like Froome talking about the bike he's going to ride next year, you know, you get someone like Froome who's been on that Pinarello for years. And then, you know, it's kind of Mark Cavendish, right? He rides the specialized and that's his big deal. And then he goes to dimension data at the time. And he starts having to ride a, was it uh, the BMC or the Cervelo? And he's just complaining the whole time that he's losing sprints because of his bike. Um, you know, someone like Froome has a lot of pull. And so it would be interesting to see. I think that um, Israel rides the factor bike. And so it'll be interesting to see if they stay on that if or if he has some deal that he wants to bring with him. I don't know. Uh, so it's to me, it's that's kind of a side but interesting aspect of when a big rider changes teams. No input. Okay. Now, I think some of that is, uh, that probably comes down to the money side of it as well, because I don't know if Pinarello, I assume Pinarello is throwing money at Ineos to have them ride the bikes, because obviously that's, that's a big selling point for the bike brand. I don't know if Factor is doing the same with, um, with Israel Startup. Uh, and not only that, but it's from, it's from a big enough name to pull Pinarello with him, and it's Kevin Pinarello willing to have their bike uh, under two riders or two teams with a big payout. Yeah. I'm not sure if the finance makes sense there. Yeah, you know, because the interesting thing you see, you know, all sports, right? Some are really good about, like, their their product endorsement is just the biggest thing ever. You know, you see that with the shoes in in the NBA and whatnot. Um, Sagan and Cavendish were more like that with bikes, right, with with Specialized. That's kind of just, I think, the thing that probably sweeps them along. Uh, So I don't know if Froome doesn't really come across as kind of that, uh, sponsored pusher guy. I mean, and that he's really a, a guy that everyone's like, oh, I got to ride that because because that uh, gangly guy spins his way. He spins his bike. I got I got to get up and get me some of that. So I don't know that he's uh, the big deal, but it'll be interesting to see what's happening there. Um, any other big news that you see or, or anything's on this? I mean, I've, there's a few other items here. I saw women's Lacourse has been announced. They're going to do some climbing uh, around the uh, Nice area uh, with for the tour. Um, the virtual tour de France was going on. I don't know if you checked into any of that. I have not checked into any of the virtual tour de France. Um, is, is, you know, is it open to anybody? Is it open to select riders? Is it, 
I mean, I know there's been some virtual stage races like virtual redwoods and, and stuff like that. Joe Martin, yeah. I don't know if they're doing the same with the with the tour, and if, if they are, if there's like you've got to be on a team. I, I unfortunately I don't know anything about it. Well, I know, um, and I just can see here, American Lauren Stevens, I think she, she either won or it says, yeah, virtual Tour de France stage winner. So she won a stage. Um, so also saw some of these guys, you know, these pros that are, got on there and they were doing some crazy watts and they're like, they're still losing to <laughs> some people and they're kind of just like baffled. Uh, I, I think it's just a specialty, right? I mean, you've done it. I haven't. Um, you know, but anytime you're on a trainer, it's just a little bit different than, than aspects of the road and, and, um just doesn't thrill me as much so i did see something uh they were live streaming a whip crit the other day and it just that didn't really seem to jive because a lot of crit racing isn't necessarily watts and and power it's more positioning and cornering and kind of right. being able to set yourself up to win uh, but it just seemed like they were doing a crit i could see kill climbs or road races being closer to reality than than a crit but um, I can't imagine that the stages are going to be as long as a tour stage. And if you take a, a pretty high level rider that focuses their time and effort on, on indoor riding, they're probably going to be competitive at the end of an hour and a half effort on the trainer going up against the pro tour guy. Cause there's, you know, average Joe's out there. They can pop a big sprint. Um, right. you know, Jason Smith hits over 2000 Watts and you put him on the trainer and that, that, that probably will make him do well at the end of his whip race, which is really short. Okay. But if you try to get him over a bunch of like uh, out passes, uh, he's probably not going to be there. So <laughs> I, I, I get that some of the pros are baffled, but it'd be like going into a free throw competition against uh, college players. Like, yeah, they'll, they'll do just as well against uh, a middle of the pack pro. It's just you've got to add in more complexity than just his whip race. It's like, yeah, you've got to be in a position to get to the finish to be competitive. And most of the average folks on list aren't going to do that in a real pro race. No, no, of course. Uh, and, and so you're telling me that these two different virtual two different, they don't have like transition stages that are like seven hours long, but they're just sit, sitting in the saddle all day long. That's not happening. I'm disappointed. Uh, it's not happening, but I think they're probably still leveraging like the full on massage and everything like that. And, and they're getting the nutrition taken care of. So I'm sure they're on the right. same footing there. It's just doctors. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the other thing I think that'll be interesting is our, we've got this really condensed world tour schedule and we didn't really touch on this yet is it, it sounds like world championships are still going to be taking place. And there's riders who aren't going to be able to participate in their probably best discipline because they're obligated to go to the tour. I think Dumoulin said he's not going to be able to do the uh, the world time trials because he's either going to be at the tour or too fatigued from the tour. So it just seems like again condensing everything to make sure that we get every single race is, is kind of potentially shorting us on on seeing the best of the best perform at, at world, which is usually a really good show. Um, and I don't know, um, and if you're the reigning world champion, um, oh gosh, who's, who's the road guy right now? Patterson. Yeah, if you're if you're in his shoes, you're you kind of wish that they would give you a little reprieve for the year and say, hey, we're going to punt worlds next year since he never really got to do much racing as, as a lead guy in it. Um, so I think that's another downside to, to condensing the schedule and trying to hit every single race um, instead of giving 
world its own kind of dedicated time slot. And I think they're doing it in Switzerland this year. I think so. So I'm, I'm trying to look on the schedule, the UCI World Tour schedule. There's a lot of overlapping, but it doesn't have all the races. So it doesn't right. even show, it doesn't show me all everything. Yeah, the Giro and the Vuelta overlap, the Vuelta and Guangxi overlap. I know that's the one you, you wait for all year. Um, yeah, so the Giro, you know, you've got Liège during this time, uh, Flanders, all these Arden Classics, Tour de Flanders uh, going on during the Giro. Uh, oh, there's the World Championships. World Championships overlaps with the end of last day, it looks like, of the Tour de France. Tour de France ends on the 20th, and that's when the World Championship starts. So, you're, you know, like first day is not the pros, right? So the last day of that is the Bink Bank Tour and La Flesh Lawone. So maybe that's the one that's going to be part of the problem because you go the, the, the road race. Oh, no, Fletch is on the 30th. Um, World Championship should be fine. I don't know. Who, who's complaining again? I think it's a function of, yeah, you can be there, but you're not going to be. Oh, yeah, you're going to be trashed from the tour if you're doing Right, that. yeah. So it's like, you know, if you're you're Tom Dumoulin and you know you're gearing up for the tour, whether you're the lead guy for the team or you're going to be the support guy through the last day, it's hard to get yourself fit and mentally ready to, to absolutely sell out for a CT. So it's, uh, and not only that, but you, you can't really push a world course in switzerland too late into the season uh, they, they do have some mountains there they get covered in snow so um yeah that, i think that's unfortunate there wasn't a little better effort to try and make that all work so that you do get guys getting into worlds and right because then he's going to have to go against uh campenerts right to uh, for the time trial who's been doing have you have you read about or heard me talk about him what he's doing and uh his no so oh. doing He's he's sleeping in a hyperbaric chamber or whatever that is that uh, you know simulates uh, elevation, and he's doing yeah. it at he said the 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 very edge of what basically can kill you. <laughs> so he's like, um, it was so bad that starting at Corona, he was hardly able to even get out and ride. He was trying to ride, but he was like, I was so weak. But um, you're just right to the point where your body is basically crushed. And then, um, but he's like. He thinks he's like super Superman right now. So I, I don't know. Um, seems a little, he's very, very happy to talk about it. And so there's several well, news reports. And I think he, he had, there had been one out. And then I think he tried to elevate it a little bit more. So he was telling people, hey, look at me. And it, and it brings up an interesting thing of, of you know, how is that different than, um, what was the thing a few years ago? There, you know, just different things that people, what was the deal that Kittle and them were trying? It was like freezing something. I'm trying to remember some ozone. I think that they were pulling blood out and then rerouting it back into the system in a continuous loop that it never necessarily left the flow of the body, but ozonating it in the process to increase oxygen carrying capacity. Was that like, so were they doing an ultraviolet light down there? Or was that, that's something else? I think that's something else. That, oh. That's what we're all looking for now to, to resolve this drone thing. But right. so I wonder if Campanar is, so he's, he's taking a different approach to Everesting is what it really boils down to. He's trying to be a guy who can live up on Everest right. as opposed to climb. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And, and a new record. I, yeah. But my point is it's, it's um, I mean, it, he's like, yeah, it basically has the effect of doing EPO or blood doping. You know, you're, you're so, and so he's readily talking about it. You know, it's, it's not legal, which is interesting. It's not legal in some countries, um, but obviously he's staying at a place where it is, so. I imagine you've got to have, um, you know, if, if you're the average Joe, you probably want to have some type of medical oversight when you're doing this. Right. right. 
uh, I could see that being a, a cause for making it illegal in some countries. Is if you've got folks just Speak- dying in their little homemade tents. Yeah. Speaking of medical oversight, and we'll we'll finish on this thing. Um, did you get to see the Lance Armstrong thirty for thirty yet, or do you plan on it? I plan on it. I just have not seen it yet. I've heard really good things about it. I was, uh, yeah, people, and I don't have cable, so I was like, eh, I don't know when I'll see it. And I started looking around on my Amazon stuff, and you can buy it a la carte for like two bucks that episode. And there was two episodes. So, um, and then there's also one about Bruce Lee that I may buy as well. But anyway, bought that one. And the other one, it was like midnight on a Saturday night. I stayed up till like three or four in the morning, couldn't stop. It was fascinating. It was really well done. Um, he, you know, it, and one thing I'll just, my, my concept, I, I want you to watch it at some point and, and give me your feedback on it. You know, for me, it's like such a take back of all these people that, um, you know, I was in the middle of, of watching so much uh, action and, you know, I've told uh, you and, and the viewers, listeners before that I'm, I'm kind of been rewatching a lot of those tours. And one thing you got to give Lance a lot of credit for is his strategy and his, his mental ability to be a, a leader and maybe a bit of a bully, but you know, those kind of lead, you know, no one never said really Michael Jordan was a, a, a very warm, warm hearted guy either. So, you know, you kind of have that aspect, but one thing that was interesting takeaway there, um, one of the ladies that had come out early and talked about some stuff and Lance and all these things, the UCI is at least back then pretty dirty organization. Um, so if you want to defund anything, maybe we should do defund the UCI. I don't know. You, you on board for that one? I don't fund them directly, so I don't have any Um Having watched it, was there anything new in it, or is it just kind of better produced than some of the prior Lance stories, or was it just um, kind of a better way of telling what was already known? No, there, there is some new stuff. Uh, you know, one thing that you can't grasp is, are, are you telling the truth? Because he comes, does the comeback, and he says, I was still working with Michele uh, Ferrari, and Ferrari told me, in uh, absolute terms that there's no way you can even get close to crossing the line of cheating, right? <clears throat> so, and that's really all he says about that, uh, intimating obviously that he came back and rode clean when he uh, got third uh, behind Contador. Um, I don't know um, if that's necessarily true or not, but that's, that's what he's contending that, you know, that was the case. Um, he hates Lloyd Landis, like with a passion, you know, like, Oh, you know, things could be worse. And he's like, no, you know, things are pretty good. I mean, yeah, they could be worse. I could be, I could wake every, wake up every morning as that piece of shit, Floyd Landis. <laughs> and he kept going over and over about that. Um, I did hear you mention that. Yeah. That's, that, that seems like that's his sticking in his craw. Most definitely is, is the, the Floyd Landis issue. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely on my list of, of things to watch. It's funny you mentioned Michael Jordan there. I, I did watch a recent, piece on him in his high school and, and college years and kind of comparing him and uh, Len Bias. Yeah, yeah. And, and kind of like they're, they're friends. Or they're, sorry, they were friends off the court, you know, having gone to the camps and everything together. But just on the court, it was like, no, you are the enemy and I am an absolute cold-blooded competitive killer. And it just, it seems like those guys have that consistent streak, you know, whether it's Stan or, or Lance or it's, Nope. When you're on the bike, or you're on the court, you're just absolutely out there to kill. Yeah, and Lance's thing so, was not to win; it was to win and buy as much as possible and make sure you know it. And that was that's maybe the the joint. Did you say Len Bias? Yeah. So he he's the one that uh, passed away, right? Correct. Yeah, and it was it seemed like there was a little added fuel there for Jordan because there was talk about maybe Bias is his 
his equal or at the very least a rival. So kind of Jordan took it upon himself to like, no, I'm going to make a statement and, and we're not equal. We're, we're friends off the court, but on the court, I am far, far away better than you. Yeah, that's a, it's a unique, um, I don't know that I ever want to <clears throat> kind of be that person in my own life, but um, it does bring out some unique uh, spectating for uh, sports and, you know, for good or bad, you know, we love those kind of heroes and, and not, and um it's all it's all uh, it's all entertaining and i hope we get more entertainment this year from cycling um any any other stories nuggets you want to pass along in our comments before we uh we head out for the weekend uh i guess a question so what's what's yeah. next on jason's <clears throat> tour of the canal i heard something about baby coming up i mean yeah. that's, a, that's a far stretch from the canal but it would be a an interesting challenge for for the group that's been out doing the uh the canal series so it's an interesting wrinkle yeah so um i i live close to Beatty. it's a it's a climb out in um kind of bridges the gap between Folsom and el dorado hills serrano area and it's a steep little short area that has a kick but anyway from bottom to top he's going to end up doing one so you come down golf links turn right on alexandria that connects to Beatty, and then that Beatty that connects all the way to the top there and uh it's not an easy uh, the, the the really tough section um, you know, the, the, I think um, Tori, Tori Phillips has that record and then Adam Switters and there's um, a few other uh, pretty good climbers in there. And that's going to be the difficult section that it has. But it basically, it starts even below that. So it's got a little kicker there, too. And I think Lars Laughlin has the record right now, a little over eight minutes. But, um, you know, the next guy is like nine something. And I could see some huge gaps, obviously, in this one. So, yeah, there's no canal connecting this ride uh, to uh, at all. But uh, I'll be interested to see the participation because it's not it's not just a climb that you know most people will do. I I I ride that area like a ton. I, I go out there you know multiple times a week, and I specifically have avoided that road in uh, last several years. Um, maybe I've done it once or twice, uh, and I used to do it a bunch, <clears throat> but it's just it's not fun. Yeah, it's not something that you can go up easy. It's got a, a steepness to it where you have to work yeah. pretty pretty darn hard just just to get up it, let alone get up it fast. So that it's confirmed that it's going to be something with Beatty for next week, though. He put out the uh, the course there, so yeah, you turn off a golf links pretty much right, and it's going to start there. And then I mean, there's a little bit of a there's a steep little kicker before you get to the Beatty proper, um, and then. Beatty itself is the tough part, and then there's a little descent, and then that next part is not as bad. But you've already, you know, oxygen debt. Your arms are hypoxic, and you're you're tasting blood, and that's that's usually just just me. So, it'll be interesting to see if there's anybody that hasn't done these segments before that comes out for this one, knowing what it is. So I don't I don't think Lars, for example, has done any of the canal series, but if his KOM gets started, I could see him come out and put down a pretty good mark or Cole making a good effort again so, as well. Yeah, see, I think Cole would be a great one. He just put up a 350 up the Beatty yesterday after doing on like a 90-mile ride and doing the whole segment on the, the canal as well. And 350, so I think the uh, the Beatty, the super tough section on that is like 330-ish or so. Um, and he put up a 350. You know who's at 347? Yours truly. So take that, Cole. <laughs> That's impressive. Uh, t- um, tailwind, as Andrew says. It must be, yeah. It, that's another thing. Is it, I, it seems like anybody that's making a genuine effort on Beatty, they, they pick a day based on the wind. And this canal series is like, no, it's on Thursday, the end. Yeah. So there could be some fast times. There could be some real uh, terrible times. But uh, it seems like 
bottom to all the way to the top. That's that's kind of Nielsen Palace's time. Yeah, he's window. he's in if Europe he's like right now. Right. He might make a trip back. Right. I mean, it seems like it could be worth it, worth the risk. But uh, I hadn't seen that that was the official course that's been rolled out. So I might try that one again and just uh, get humbled by by the climber type. I so some uh, word of advice out there. I think if you you can kill it. I, that that main section that what I just said Cole did 350 on that is going to be the 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 crux of the ride because that's the the one that will kill you like you if you go too hard you're going to be totally dead for the rest of it um, you go too slow you know it's going to take way too much time so that one's going to have to be feathered in there and if you look at Lars I think when he put his time up to the top this is why I think his is really difficult because his um, baity times right close to four minutes which for me is a really hard effort, and yet he was able to, to push it all the way. So I kind of hope he shows up too. That'd be kind of cool. Um, there's got to be someone, some climber, the joker out there that can do it. And, and maybe that's you, yeah. Chris, if you get the car. No, that's not me. Um, the one thing that, that is, I, I'm not sure which of the routes Jason selected to get you from the first half of baby to the top, because there's a couple little options you can take there, but both of them are really steep. So I think, yeah, like I said, even if you get through baby, if you sell out for, for the first half of baby, you're going to be in a world of hurt for that second half. Because, I mean, there's quite a few pitches in, in the kind of 10 to 15% range there as you kind of get up to the top part it's, there. It's the first left that kind of goes by the little park and then takes a right. So that's uh, I think that one actually is a little more forgiving than straight ahead, just just from my years of when I used to ride that a ton. So Yeah, I, I agree with that. So, yeah, maybe uh, – Seems like there's some folks that can come out and put up a good time. Yeah, so. Right, right. Cool. No, I, uh, I look forward to trying that one. Not really. I do too. So, Chris, that's the that music. You know what that music says? That music says it's it's time to go. And um, so I appreciate you joining in today and everyone else in the Between Two Wheels podcast. Chris, I'll see you out on the road, I'm sure. I hope, right? You going to be out there? Yeah, eventually, I'm sure. Okay. Well, stay safe, everybody. Episode 182, Between Two Wheels Podcast. Chris, I appreciate you joining us. Check us out on YouTube, Facebook. Share the show. Just click a like button for us, for Pete's sake. All right. Take care. Bye.